The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Heaven Beside You, written by Cody Martin and Mercedes Lackey. The general arrived at Verdigris' office at the appointed time, dressed in conservative business attire. The snake had recommended it after Shen Shui had started to turn heads and become the topic of gossip and reception. The general did not care for the opinions of lesser men. There was only one purpose that tied him to Dominic Verdigris, and that was the destruction of the Thulians at all cost. Still, if Verdigris believed that he would arouse less suspicion and garner less attention by dressing in such a deplorable fashion, he would suffer it though it did itch terribly compared to the silks from his homeland that he normally wore. Was there such a thing as a silk suit? The general pushed through the double doors to Verdigris' office, striding toward his desk confidently. Kanjar was by his side, as always, and looking less than pleased to see him, as always. Thank you for gracing us with your presence, General. You're ever a vision for these poor eyes, especially in that lovely suit. Would you care for some tea? Perhaps something stronger? He gestured towards an amply stocked bar to the left of the desk, all of the libations in tasteful crystal decanters. Perception and what it accomplished meant a lot to this fiend. What do you require of me now, brute? The general was in no mood for pleasantries. Normally he encouraged formality and passing time with honored persons before getting to the heart of whatever matter was at hand. But Verdigree was no honored person to him. Verdigree sighed theatrically. Straight to business as usual, I see. If nothing else, you are admirably consistent, General, which is precisely why I need you for this next task. In fact, it's safe to say that is the reason why I brought you into our little cabal. He gestured to a chair in front of the desk. Please, take a seat while I brief you on your latest target. The general did as asked, crossing his legs demurely and waiting with restrained impatience. He always felt as if he needed a bath after dealing with this man. A screen rose from the edge of the desk, oriented towards him, and began following his sideline. We've identified a particular metahuman that we believe is of vital importance to the war effort. At first it was thought that there were a group of metahumans with similar powers operating in concert during the invasion, thwarting some of the Krieger forces. Since that time, we've revised that hypothesis in favor of one singularly powerful metahuman. In addition to the obvious abilities demonstrated in these videos, he paused momentarily as scenes of a single fiery entity in different locales was shown decimating entire groups of Thulians single-handedly, with swords and spears of fire along with its bare hands. We also have reason to suspect that this metahuman is precognitive, in a way that is unmatched by those metahumans so far known to have that sort of power. He spread his hands wide. It's obvious how that last bit there could be of tremendous use to us. Anticipating the Kriegers with 100% accuracy, knowing where and when to strike at them, it could help finish the war in a week. 
overnight even. The general's interest was honestly piqued now. To know the outcomes of battles before they happened, to see the moves and counter-moves of an enemy perfectly, it was every battle commander's dream. He turned his eyes to look into Verdigris. If this being is able to see the future, will it not be able to see me coming and destroy me? Aren't you supposed to have some sort of celestial abilities yourself? He countered and sat back with folded arms. This would be the time for you to prove that. The general knew that he didn't believe in magic. He always saw it as science through unknown means, whatever that meant. The general knew better. There were eldritch forces that moved the world, for good or for ill, with a power that few understood. The general's being and blade were proof of that. I will find this being and bring it into my service. Surely you mean our service, my dear? The snake kept the same bemused smile on his face, but his eyes had changed ever so subtly. Shen Shui could almost hear the cogs and wheels working behind those cold green eyes of his. Of course, I misspoke. Verdigree bore into Shen Shui with a stare for half of a heartbeat before he rocked back in his chair, the cold look in his eyes gone once more. Good. You'll have all of the resources you need at your disposal for this task. It means that much to all of us, to the war effort, General. Once we have this seraphim in our custody, we can find out what it can really do and force it to operate in our favor instead of at its own whim. He retrieved a large manila folder from a drawer in his desk, pushing it towards the General. Everything else you need to know is in there. The general stood from his seat after grabbing the folder. Understood. The seraphim. Hmm. There had been one appearance of the creature by that name at the door of the CCCP HQ. Shen Shui's entire being had rung like a bell in the proximity of its presence. Verdigree was a fool. The creature was far more powerful than he guessed. But perhaps a wise fool. No matter how powerful this creature was, no matter what magic formed the foundation of its powers, Shen Shui carried Jade Emperor's Whisper, the sword formed for the Jade Emperor himself, and even the most powerful magician in the world trembled before the might of the supreme ruler of heaven's power. Perhaps it is time to channel some of that power to a purpose. Shen Shui paused in an empty corridor and pulled Jade Emperor's whisper from the place in reality where it rested in the times he had no need of it. He directed his will at it. We must have this creature. The continuation of the world may require it, he told it sternly. You will hide me from it. He felt the sword's ascent, the sword was more than a simple tool to beat things into submission. It was an entity almost on its own, with moods and wishes that needed to be appeased. Satisfied, he put it back and continued on his way. 
time to find a quiet place to study the information Verdigree had provided. After all, there was the off chance that it might prove to be worth something. And more than time to get out of this damned suit and all the hellish feminine contraptions that went with it. It was days like these that Shen Shui wished fervently for a return to ancient China. Perhaps we can make what was ancient new again, one day. The moment was too important for the seraphim to chance interruption. So, no going to her perch among the arches and pillars of her rooftop lookout, nor to the top of John Murdoch's building. The best place to sit and sift through the threads of the futures was the old, mostly deserted cemetery. It was a weekday. The caretaker was taking his nap. There were never any visitors during the week, and this was a spot where there were no living left to visit the dead. In fact, if she chose, and she did, she could create the illusion that she was just one more angel statue among the many, one kneeling with downcast eyes and folded hands. It was one of the least involved illusions she could invoke in the minds of those around her. She simply willed it, and it was so. As she concentrated, the threads of the future played out in front of her, flooding her mind with possibility. The genie had accepted responsibility. He had sacrificed his own self-interest for the sake of the greater good. He had accepted that his future would be subject to pain, loneliness, but that this would all mean something profoundly important to the outcome of the war. This had taken him out of the realm of those who did not matter against the Thulians, and put him in the ranks of those who did. He was a new, brighter thread added to the tapestry, and he must be sorted into it. Bella had found her rock in the form of the aptly named Bulwark. She would cease to need Sarah and could continue her growth on her own. Bulwark would keep her steady and become part of her moral and ethical compass. That must be sorted. And if she had to make that terrible and morally ambiguous decision, she had someone to steer her back from it. That greatly changed the patterns. And John Murdoch. That situation both excited her and made her uneasy. It grew more personal with every encounter, and she was supposed, or so she thought, to remain impersonal. But the Infinite had registered no disapproval of this. In fact, the Infinite appeared to register tacit approval. And certainly, as the bond between them grew more familiar, Murdoch pulled back from his former distance from the rest of humanity, and joined more fully into life around him, became more committed, made more connections. Each time he did, it changed the futures ever so slightly, for the better. And yet... This was so dangerous. It opened her in ways she didn't understand, to emotions. The siblings did not experience emotion directly, only indirectly, through the memories and experiences of mortals. This was new, and a new thing such as this, after her long, long life, was unprecedented. But she shook her head to clear it of the thought of John Murdoch. This was not the time for such thoughts, for there was another subject of more urgency than that. Ramona Ferrari was on a collision course with Verdigree, and there were many ways that this could end. This, at the moment, was one of the sections of the futures that most concerned the Seraphim, for the threads here were terribly, terribly tangled. 
The seraphim bent her mind to them, concentrating on these things to the exclusion of all else. Even looking at them changed them, or had the potential to change them. This was a critical juncture. Her concentration was interrupted by a lithe figure dressed in red and black silk sliding over the outer wall of the cemetery, silent and graceful as a cat. The figure regarded her coolly, her face serene and her eyes calculating. Sarah recognized the figure, of course. The shell was Red Savior's oldest friend, Fei Li, otherwise known as People's Blade. But there were two inside the shell. Fei Li herself was sleeping, insisted, refusing to come out into a world that had turned so unrecognizable and kept enclosed by the dominant entity, the one now in total control of the shell. That was the great General Shen Shui, a most ancient soul who had, until the reversal, resided in the equally ancient sword Jade Emperor's Whisper, to which his immortal soul had been confined for crimes of monumental cruelty and hubris. He had, until Fei Li's moment of crisis, been content to expiate these crimes by serving as Fei Li's mentor in all things martial. Not any more, it seemed. Feili's fall had become Shen Shui's window into the modern world with a new body. You are not as hard to find as I would have thought, sorceress. Shen Shui spoke quietly, but never took her eyes off of Sarah. Seek, and ye shall find, the seraphim replied dryly, speaking in perfectly accented and quite ancient kin but it was strange that until this moment she had not been aware of the general's presence. Hmm. Now this was odd. Shen Shui was absent from the futures. Like John Murdoch, he was a blankness, but it was not the same sort of blankness. This was not caused by the infinite. John Murdoch was a blank, but his life intersected with virtually all of those who were important to the futures. Bella, Victrix, Red Savior, even the Genie, Bulwark, Ramona, and those with whom he had no obvious direct connection. Even Verdigree. Shen Shui intersected only with those who were important but dangerous, unethical, even sociopathic. What could that mean? Shen Shui paused mid-stride for a moment before she continued, weaving through the gravestones and circling Sarah. You have something I need, she continued in slightly accented English. Something that the world needs. Will you give this thing to me, or will I have to take it? She stopped in front of Sarah, her hands folded behind her back. Shen Shui cocked her head to the side, waiting for a response. It depends entirely on what you believe that I have, the seraphim replied, considering that I own no possessions. Shen Shui moved her left hand in front of her face, waggling a finger back and forth. No, we own many things beyond the material, our minds, our thoughts, and our abilities. No one can lay claim to a sword-maker's skill, though they can bend it to their will. 
No one can own an athlete's prowess, but they can persuade him to compete for the glory of a nation. She leaned forward slightly, canting her head towards Sarah. No one can own the future, but you. I do not own the future. That is in the hands of mortals. The seraphim shook her head. You labor beneath a misapprehension. It is not permitted that I direct the futures as a general directs his armies. I do not need you to steer the course of history, sorceress. I can do that perfectly well, for I am a general. I simply need you to tell me where and when to best swing my sword to defeat the Thulians and other threats. Shen Shui regarded a gravestone in front of her, running a finger softly over it before looking back to Sarah. The seraphim smiled sadly. You do not require me for that. Find the source of the Thulian's power and remove it. You mistake me. I am not asking for your permission. A good general marshals all of his assets and strengths before battle. You will come into my service. This is the nature of things. So that was the way the wind blew. It is not permitted, the seraphim said steadily. I already serve another. Shen Shui sighed heavily, looking down at the grave dirt beneath her feet. We all serve many masters, sorceress, of our choosing and others through necessity. Not I, the seraphim replied. I serve only the infinite. You are not the first to want me as a servant. You must go on wanting. Shen Shui looked up sharply from the ground. So, Without another word, she charged Sarah, sprinting as fast as a top Olympic athlete. The general, seemingly from nowhere, pulled Jade Emperor's whisper from behind her back, leveling it at Sarah. But the seraphim, old in battle, was not taken by surprise. Her own fiery blade sprang to life in her hand as her fires blazed up around her. She moved as lithe as flame, stepping lightly aside and parrying Jade Emperor's whisper in a way that left the general unbalanced for a moment. The general quickly spun around, bringing her sword up in a one-handed grip, circling with Sarah. The wise man does not shout defiance into the tempest, said the seraphim, but accepts the inevitable with grace. She followed the general's movements without seeming to. Shen Shui now discovered that facing a creature who had no pupils to her eyes was disconcerting. It was not possible to read such blankness. An opponent's eyes were usually telling of many things. Not so with this one. Shen Shui continued with her flurry, launching attacks high and low, each of which was countered with what seemed thoughtless grace. 
Does the butterfly spar with the dragon? Does the wren seek to drive the eagle from her nest to claim it? What is it that you can possibly expect to get from me? Shen Shui lunged with her sword, aiming for Sarah's throat. One must persevere to accomplish impossible tasks. She followed with another barrage of strikes, ducking and weaving and even leaping off of gravestones in almost impossible but perfect acrobatic moves, only to be countered each time. Why not put the same effort in pursuing the Thulians? the seraphim asked. Others are doing the same. You could accomplish far more. As I told you, find the head of this serpent and strike it off. Half measures, Shen Shui grunted as she readied her sword again. We'll never win wars. Others are not willing to do what needs to be done. Few are. With you at my side, I will be able to do what is necessary to defeat the Thulians and all other threats. She renewed her assault, with cuts coming from as many angles as she could manage, faster than probably any mortal swordsman alive. And for the first time in her unnumbered millennia, Seraphim's sword of flame had not instantly destroyed a mortal weapon. She looked at the sword that Shen Shui wielded and instantly knew why. Because it was not a mortal weapon. Improbably enough, Jade Emperor's whisper was not forged by mortal hands, but by the hands of those who were, if not siblings, certainly not subject to the same limitations as mortals. And how would you know I was telling you the truth, and not something designed to send you to your death? She replied serenely, although beneath, she was anything but serene. She was afraid. Something was going on far from here. John Murdoch faced an equal enemy for, perhaps, the first time in his life. He was hurt. He was in danger. She had not foreseen this, and she could not be there and here. Yet she could not leave here to come to his aid while the situation with Shen Shui was so uncertain. And suddenly, out of nowhere, as if her momentary thought of him had pulled all her intention towards John Murdoch, she felt his powers falter, and the earth became unsteady beneath her feet. Her thoughts went blank for a fraction of the second. Shen Shui seized upon the moment. The flow of her attack abruptly changed, and she sliced downward viciously, scoring Sarah's left wing, as Sarah belatedly reacted and pulled it partly out of reach. As with the attacks by the Thulians that had touched her, the key was that she did not allow the pain to matter. But it was agony, and whiter, blinding flame followed the line of Jade Emperor's whisper down the inner face of her wing— even Shen Shui shaded his eyes and flinched from the light for a moment, as the seraphim's true nature showed through the cut. She healed it without a thought, but it took more time to heal than the wounds caused by the titanic mortal weapons of the Thulians, things that disintegrated mere matter in a nanosecond. Jade Emperor's whisper could hurt her. Time to finish this. She went on the offensive for the first time, her sword engaging with Jade Emperor's whisper and binding it. Enough, she said, allowing a touch of anger into her voice. 
This has gone far enough, and I have wasted enough time here. She sensed the celestial blade recoiling from her own and from her anger. With a flick of the wrist, she wrested Shen Shui's sword from the general's grip and sent it flying into the shaggy, unkempt bushes. Trouble me no more with your concerns. I have told you, I serve only the infinite. You are a tactician. Find another solution to your problems. And with that, she turned her back contemptuously and flew off. Shen Shui could only stare for a few moments breathless. It had been the hardest battle he had ever fought, and one of the few without clear victory. Pausing for a few moments to reflect on the fight, he collected his sword, replacing it in the nowhere place between space and time, and left the cemetery. This task would require quite a different approach. Verdigree was trying desperately to clear his head. Things could have been going better as far as his plans went, but a day at the track always seemed to set him to rights. Through a few minor called-in favors and discreet words, he had gained the opportunity to test-drive the new prototype Bugatti Veyron Supersport earlier than most. It wasn't even a full production car yet, just a camera-ready test mule, primped and prettied for the reviewers later this month. That didn't stop him from putting it through its paces. Dominic was an expert driver and loved nothing more than to take one of the supercars from his garage or an experimental design that he'd come up with out on the track. Usually that was good for clearing out the cobwebs. These beasts, with their twitchy handling and crazy speeds, required an enormous amount of his own attention. After he finished thoroughly wringing the car out at close to its maximum performance for an hour and a half, he pulled into the pit station near the starting line. A crew of mechanics and technicians ran over immediately, wasting only a few moments to shower him with praises for his performance before they began to inspect and do a teardown on critical components for the Bugatti. Behind the barrier for the entrance to the track, Shen Shui was standing, arms crossed. Verdigree smiled broadly as he walked towards her, peeling off his racing suit. Fascinating machine, isn't it? A diversion for those that should be spending their time on more pertinent pursuits, brute. Too much work and no play isn't good for the mind or body, General. He picked up a water bottle emblazoned with the Echo logo off of a nearby table, taking a swig from it. So, what news do you have? Made any progress with our recalcitrant friend with the wings? It depends on what you would refer to as progress. Shen Shui steepled her fingers. I am certain of what she is now, regardless of your stubborn disbelief. It will require an extraordinary effort and some extraordinary equipment to capture her. But I believe it can be done. Verdigree frowned. Tell me that you don't honestly believe that she's an angel. He toweled his face off with a terry cloth hand towel that had Black Snake's crest sewn into it. He sighed heavily. I took you for a more rational individual, General. What you take for rationality, I take for stubborn refusal to accept what is fact, Shen told him with undisguised contempt. 
She is celestial in origin, as is my... She shook her head. Never mind. The point is, your insistence on referring to a spade as a hammer does not make it suited to drive nails. What a quaint little saying. Whatever. I care about results. General, the same as you. It's why you're in my employ, after all. He set down the towel before leveling her with a stare. Can you deliver, or should I find someone else that can? That will depend on your ability to acquire the tools I will need. The general narrowed her eyes. They are precise. They are absolutely required, and they must be exactly what I ask for. No substitutes will do. He waved his hand, smiling again. Of course. Money is no object where this project is concerned, General. That just leaves one final question. Which is? Shen Shui looked suddenly wary for a moment. Do you take cash, or will a check do? John was on the roof of the building that held his private space. He called it a squat, presumably because he was squatting there without permission. Their conversation had been interrupted on the roof of the CCCP headquarters, and Sarah was anxious to resume it. Anxious. That was new for her. Like so many other emotions, she had never suffered anxiety before. It was as if mortal emotions were infectious, a virus she could somehow contract. Anxiety. Fear. There had been a moment of fear when Shen Shui had hurt her, Pain she was used to, at least in the form of the all-obliterating weapons that the Thulians used. She was fully prepared for pain, secure in the knowledge that she could renew herself as fast as they could tear at her. But what Jade Emperor's Whisper had done had not been so easy to remedy. The sword had the potential to cripple her in a way not even the Thulian weapons did. Of course, all she needed to do was be aware of that and take steps accordingly, but... She had not known such a thing was even possible until now, and that made her afraid, if only momentarily. John saw her coming, as she intended. He waved. She took that as invitation and touched down. Welcome back, Sarah. Thought my sturdy Russian comrades might have scared you off for good last time. She smiled a little at that. I am not sure that Untermensch would even be able to see me. Best he not see you speaking to the empty air. She spoke aloud, carefully confining her voice to ears alone. She knew that John preferred that as opposed to mental communication. He'd probably just think that I'd been hanging around old man Bear too much. Finally driven me nuts. He took a drink from a bottle of beer that he had been holding. By the way he moved, she could tell that he had been injured recently, but it was not those injuries that had caused her to falter. Something more had happened to him, and somehow she had felt it, and that had taken her attention from her own battle, making it possible for Jade Emperor's whisper to strike her. 
You are hurt, she said with concern. He waved his hand dismissively. I'll heal up. Been hurt a lot worse than this before. He turned to face her, resting his elbows against the edge of the roof's wall. Something was bugging you the last time we spoke. John gauged her for a moment. It still is, isn't it? What happened when you fought? She asked. She didn't ask who it was. That was irrelevant. She hesitated, then confessed. Something happened. I think what happened to you was the cause. He looked puzzled. I don't understand. Me getting hurt? That affected you somehow? It was more than your injuries. Something else happened. Her eyes flared with light. Please, what was it? I... We are connected somehow, John. I do not know why. But her voice trailed off because she suspected, even if she did not know for certain. John sighed, obviously reluctant. I didn't want to worry you. Back on the last stop, I ran into someone. Well, more like I bumbled my way into a trap. It was sent up by Ubermensch, one of the Krieger's heavy hitters. He apparently doesn't like the cut of my jib or something. He is keen to see me turned into a smear on the ground. He took another pull of beer before he continued. Despite it being a decently laid-out trap, I was able to get the better of him. I had the murdering bastard on the ground and I was going to finish him, but I couldn't. It was like all the energy ran out of me in an instant. He looked into her eyes, plainly concerned. The fires died instantly. It was like I had run out of steam. I felt that, she said slowly. I do not know what it means, but... I felt that, and people's blades saw me falter and cut me. She had not meant to say that aloud, but it was too late to call it back. John set down his beer. Wait, hold up. Faye attacked you? She nodded. I think... Wait, let me sort. She sifted through immediate future and past. It seems, she said bleakly, that Fei Li has thrown in with Vertigree. And although he is head of Echo, I do not understand why she would attack me. Go on. She could almost feel the cold anger emanating off of John. His friends, his comrades, and himself had been betrayed, but that was only a small part of it. Why, why are you so angry? she asked. His demeanor changed instantly, as if he had been snapped out of a trance. I'm sorry. Faley's gone back on every promise she made to the CCCP. Nat's going to be pissed, though I'm a little fuzzy on the details of how I'm going to break this news to her. He looked down at his feet for a moment. If 
You want to know the truth of it, though. I'm furious that she hurt you. I didn't even think that such a thing was possible, given how powerful you are. He let the implied question hang there. It is the sword, she told him. It was created by a celestial being. It would not matter if I did not take physical manifestation, but such things can hurt me. She felt vexed all over that she had allowed it. But only if I am careless. It will not happen again. John shook his head. You won't have to worry about her anymore. I'll make sure it gets handled. She's one of ours. We'll bring her in. He was adamant in his conviction about this. Sarah knew that he wouldn't stop until People's Blade was stopped. But did he realize how much of an adversary that she would prove to be? She is very powerful, Sarah began to warn him with a little reluctance. How much to warn him about? Should she tell him that Thaley was no longer the controlling entity that Shen Shui had taken over completely? I'm no pushover, darling. If I can take the likes of that windbag Ubermensch, I think I'll be all right with Thaley. She was distracted by his phrasing. The red genie called me darling, and now you. Why is that? Does it have a meaning I do not know? Her brows furrowed. I hope it does not mean, do not worry your pretty little head. I do not care for that. That crook called you that, too. John seemed to bristle slightly. I know you can take care of yourself. You're too smart for me to say, do not worry your pretty little head. Never mind the fact that it is pretty. I'm just saying that you've got help. He grinned lopsidedly. It seems strange to have help that is not one of the siblings, she said, blinking. I should be aware of pride. It does go before a fall. I am not the infinite, she said, reminding herself. Then she smiled shyly. Thank you. He shrugged casually. Ain't nothing, Sarah. You'd do it for me just the same, right? She nodded. Seriously. Adamantly. I would. I have. Again, something that just slipped out before she realized it. This speaking aloud was treacherous. John cocked his head to the side, his grin turning mischievous. I was just teasing a little, but now that we're talking about it, what did you mean by I have? The night when you came to CCCP, she replied hesitantly, compelled to speech because she was, by her nature, compelled to the truth. There was a sniper. He was startled by what I said to him and fell. There have been other times. 
perhaps best to leave it at that. Huh. So I really do have a guardian angel. He smiled genuinely, not one of his guarded smiles. She had been learning the difference as of late. Good to know. Well, you must take more care, she admonished, so that I do not need to be. Less of permitting yourself to be lured into traps, please. She was trying to make a joke, as she had with the genie. John chuckled, then offered a mock salute. Affirmative, Commissar. She laughed with delight, made him a little bow, and fanned her wings to take her upwards. She chose her favorite perch, the faux Roman temple atop the high roof. She felt herself smiling, and wondering. All these emotions, these feelings... She had not experienced them when she first became an instrument. In fact, it had been some time before she had noticed them. It seemed she sorted through the past dispassionately. Yes, she said aloud. The pattern was there. The more she connected to John Murdoch, the more she felt herself in her own person. This was good in a mortal. Connections were important. But was it good for her? She made herself still and listened, but the infinite did not answer. Neither this is not permitted, nor this is permitted. Finally, she shrugged. Best to take a leaf from John Murdoch's own book. It is easier to beg forgiveness than ask permission. After all, forgiveness was... Always possible. You have been listening to Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bayon Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.